Scrum. My boat. Float it. My boat. I'm gonna float this boat. I'm the captain. Hey. This boat. Hey, captain. I'm the captain now. Five, four, three, two. Welcome back, everybody, to the Savage Cromcast. Heyo! Season 17, episode three. Poetry weirdos. I'm Josh. Poetry weirdos. Yeah. I'm Josh. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Luke. And we are your poetic hosts for this uh coffee shop open mic night. That's right. Get ready to hit the fields and Get down, cats. Get down, cats. Yes. Freshly pressed. I have not washed this flannel for like six weeks. And it shows. I can hashish. or is it just patchouli? It's the I've got the I got my incense burning. Uh yeah. Yeah. We're gonna I'm eating good these days. Yeah. Focusing on my flexes. Working out. Working on your fitness. Working on my fitness. So you're like a modern uh, hipster poet guy? Doing a cleanse. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Crystals? Got some crystals? <laughs> we got power crystals. That's not what that's not what poetry is about, John. That's true. That's Robert true. E. No. Howard was a poet and he did not worship power crystals. I, I feel like somehow the onus has passed to me. <laughs> the one that all and things. and Josh, do you think that HPL do you think that he rubbed on some power crystals? I think he might have it like once. He probably tried. Uh I could see Clark Ashton Smith doing it. Dude, yeah. yeah Smith right. wrote a letter about it to Lovecraft, and Lovecraft <laughs> was like, I guess since he enclosed these, I'll try it. Dude, back off. He's <laughs> up on the new age stuff, CAS. He, he glued them around the wheel of his Model T for protection. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, you know what? But you know what really gets my froth up? Mm, what 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 uh what randies you up? What we're bit? what we're drinking? What are we drinking? Well, I'm having a high life, and uh, you finished your high life, John. You finished your high life. I'm I'm behind. You'll catch up. I'll catch up. Don't worry about me. And then we've got uh, a centerpiece here. You do. A Christmas, a pink Christmas tree. It's nice. Blended from my daughter. Ceramic. She is sad that she can't hang out with me. <laughs> is she awake still? No, she's asleep. Let's, she, let's bring her down and put her on the mic. She's been doing this thing a lot lately where she's like, I'm not tired. I've never been tired. And I never yeah. will be. And Don't sleep. she rolls over. And two heartbeats later, she is out like a light. It's funny. Penny has started going, uh, yep, and nope. And... <laughs> We'll ask her sometimes, you ready for a uh, tubby and, and bedtime? And she'll go, nope. And then she'll run around somewhere. And then you ask her again about 15 minutes later, you ready? And she'll go, yep. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that's all we need to get the wiggles out. We've got we've got a, uh, a nice bottle of Rusty whiskey there. 10, 10 years old. Uh, Jimmy T sent it over. Personally? Personally. He sent uh, his personal errand boy. Sponsors the show. That's what I'm going to start saying. Yeah. Until, they, until they sue us. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's fair to say. The Chromecast brought to you by Wild Turkey. Brought to you by Wild Turkey and Heaven Hill. Yeah. I think that's the, the probably the fairest. I think that's probably true. Uh, supporters that we have at this point. Uh, we got that. I've got a, a Stanley Thermos chock full of uh, Kirkland's uh, green bag coffee. Uh, mm. We got that. And then I brought a handful of Yinglings over here. In addition to the crystal. 
Yeah, in addition to my power crystals. I got those I got those down deep in my pockets. <laughs> well, let's let's uh bring this wild cabaret of uh lyrical nonsense into the next segment. One thing. Jonathan. I'm up first. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go with a movie that my wife and I watched most recently called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I like that movie. <laughs> Never seen it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, didn't know what to expect going into it. And yeah, I've definitely thought about it quite a bit afterwards. Uh, Steve Martin is a funny man. My wife says that he was a handsome man at the time of Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. I guess I've never considered it, but uh, John Candy. I would say he's more my type. He's a cool guy. Maybe his best performance? I don't know. Is that a hot take? I don't know if it's a hot take. I think every John Candy performance is his best performance. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, there was a time when John Candy was my, like, bar none, absolute top favorite actor. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, favorite comedian. Loved everything that he ever wrote. Every stand-up that I ever saw from him. Every sketch he was in. And then uh, every John Candy movie. And I, I don't know, man. Uncle Buck is up there. He's a flawed hero, man. What's the What's the typewriter movie where whatever he types, you don't know? I don't know that. You no. don't know it. He's no. like a He's like a soap opera writer, and he gets the ability. Whatever he types happens in real life. That's amazing. And, yeah, I can't think of the name of it though. It's It's a good one. That's that a real good like one. Something Jack Black should revamp. Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Delirious. Delirious. Yeah. Nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just kicked the table. I was so excited about Delirious from 1991. Uh, and then there's The Great Outdoors, I think. He's in The Great Outdoors, right? Oh, no. yeah. No, that's him and Aykroyd. That's him and Aykroyd. Yeah. Um, the last one was Wagons East. Oh. Well, actually, the last one was Canadian Bacon. Canadian Bacon and Wagons East were filmed around about the same time. Okay. So Canadian Bacon is about a... Oh, I got coffee on the uh, the poem. It's par for last no, recording. That's true. It's fine. We're uh, good. Canadian bacon is about a uh, a war that's being declared on Canada because the U.S. economy is stalled out. We need a war. Okay. And John Candy is sent into uh, Canada to oh, yeah. to try to get people uh, riled up against America, that's so it's easier to start a war. Basically, four years away from being a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a good one. And then Wagons East is uh, the the I think the last full movie that he was a part of. I don't think he was in all of Canadian Bacon. Oh, okay. No. Mm. Check out the filmography of John Candy. Have you never seen Wagons East? I, I, I gotta be honest, I think this might be the first John Candy movie I've seen. Surely not Spaceballs. Oh yeah, okay, never mind. I saw Spaceballs. Yeah. yeah. I forgot he was in Spaceballs. Yeah. He's Barf. Yeah, he's the thing. Yeah. yeah. He's the Chewbacca. Yeah, he's Barf. <laughs> he's a Mog, right? Half man, half dog. He's his own best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll let you can talk no, about your one thing. No, I I like hearing from an expert. I'm not. <laughs> An expert. Shut is it, it is it Luke's turn or is it your turn? Luke's turn. All right, my one thing is going to be a bit of a downer compared to uh, John Candy movie. Uh, it is the Only Good Indians, written by Stephen Graham Jones, published in 2020. This is a horror novel, and I'm a year point five or two years late getting to the party on this one. But it's rocking my socks off, and I'm loving it. I'm not done with it just yet, but I'm in the home stretch, and it is 
awesome sauce and i can't say too much more about it other than the end of this year is horrific and i'm loving it horrific yeah man you say more is it all just spoilers uh it's a weird book kind of i talked about the fisherman in past episodes and josh talked about the fisherman this is another story that has a slightly atypical structure and they're different stories but i think that you know those two authors are part of kind of the same new newish like in the past decade wave of like awesome horror that's really come to prominence but yeah i mean i could talk about it and be a little bit spoilery but there's no need to it has lots of good swerves that's it it's it's great uh so seal of approval yes i mean absolutely this is this is currently hands down head and shoulders above anything else i've read the best book that i've read this year the the way that it's playing out uh yeah can we get you a seal like oprah used to have for her book club i think so i would love to have like a a black ink kind of kind of thing that i could just sort of stamp on stuff do you have a library i do i have one that says like this is uh the library of of luke kind of thing yeah, yeah. I like that lol lols <laughs> Laws my books it's one of my books uh but yeah it's check it out man hopefully santa's gonna bring me another stephen graham jones book or two i've got him on my my amazon list and i'm hoping that uh that he comes through and, and maybe a stamp i mean he listens to the show he's always watching both of you he probably listens to every podcast he has to yeah year, yeah like every christmas eve i mean what else is he doing except for the one night a year he got his, he's got his AirPods plugged in for that whole big flight, 24 yeah. hours of podcasting. Anyway, that's my one thing. I'm going to pass the torch over to Mr. Josh. I was listening to a podcast that we've talked about on the show before, Weird Studies. And they covered Evil Dead 2 and the weirdness of Evil Dead 2. And they also had an episode about puppets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so they they kind of wax philosophical about like the fact that Evil Dead Two kind of those those effects those monsters are puppets and the added layer of them being puppets and trying to gain a life because they're lifeless and they want to be alive and and uh, sort of putting the deadite veneer over top of that like it it adds up it mat- matches up well. And so it made me want to watch some Evil Dead stuff, and I realized I hadn't finished Ash vs. Evil Dead. Um, I've only watched the first season, and so I started the first season over and watched the first episode, uh, which was directed by Sam Raimi, and I just think that is one of the best horror, like the best pieces of horror that I've seen in the last five years or, or whatever. Nice. Just really love it. Have you watched that show yet? I did. I, I don't think I've actually finished it, but I did similar to you. Like I got midway through the season or mm-hmm. two thirds of the way and yeah, I, I enjoyed it, but I do need to go back and like plow through. This was one of the shows like I started watching with Ashley and she noped out pretty quick um, <laughs> because the first episode does have some pretty good scares, but just like the movies, um, if you stick through the scares, that's when the, the laughs come. And so there's a, a good gag where, Bruce Campbell, you know, he's still a stock boy. He's, he doesn't work at Smart anymore. It's a different store. But he's got a box full of light bulbs. And his boss says, take these in the back. And he picks it up. 
and he puts it over his shoulder, but there's no top, like the top's not sealed. And so all these light bulbs fall out and it's like a one man, uh, three stooges kind of thing. Um, he's just popping light bulbs and trying to quietly sweep them up while his boss is standing like right there. It's, it's good stuff. And then of course the requisite, like, uh, deadites, uh, punching him in the face. (laughs) So, you know, you've, you've got your scary stuff. You've got your slapstick. Um, it's good. You got your slapstick. You got your boomstick too. A lot of them. I got through. I think the first two seasons. Okay, I, I haven't been able to find the third one. I, was it on, on Netflix? Because that's where I I, oh, str- I streamed it. So I think all three of them might be on Netflix. Okay. Yeah, as of this recording. The last thing I remember was Lucy Lawless showing up. Oh, she shows up in episode two of the first season. Oh, maybe it was like she makes a, a baby face turn in the second season or something. I don't know because I haven't watched the second season. It, but it's something with her. It was, the, it was very. She's like the final shot of the last episode. Okay. There's there's something very very clear about her and she's somehow associated with the Necronomicon. Yeah. Right. But I don't remember what that association is. But anyway, I I wanted to watch some Evil Dead and uh I'm I'm doing the more modern takes on Evil Dead uh and I learned also that there's going to be a new Evil Dead movie coming out okay. early next year. It's called oh, yeah. Evil Dead Rise. It's not Fede Alvarez, the the guy that did the 2013. Okay, it's somebody else, and it's not a cabin in the woods. It's um, a high rise in L.A. It sounds like the raid or mm-hmm. the last dread film. Like, yeah, that was the vibe I was getting from the synopsis. Very the raid, like yeah. deadites all over the place yeah. in this building. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll I'll watch that. That yeah. sounds cool. I, th- I think that they're sticking with the uh, the more serious tone from the 2013 version. Did you ever watch that, John? No, they you were box cutter you, in the commercial. I'm not gonna watch. You you refused <laughs> to uh, join Luke and I way back in uh, in the day to see it. So uh, that still haven't seen it. Okay. It was in 2013. That 2013, yeah, that came out in 2013. <laughs> and I actually haven't watched it since then. So I need to I need to watch that one again too. Maybe we can watch it together. It's okay. I'll hold you. I'll cover you cover your eyes during the scary parts. That's the best. Yeah. All right. That's three things. We should uh, roll them up uh, into a ball and call it one thing. Sugar cookies. Slice them up. Put them in the oven at three fifty for about mm-hmm. fifteen minutes. That's how you get them. That's one thing. Nice. I have a quick little addition here to to sort of slide into this recording too, because it's the holiday season. You guys feeling like you're in the the spirit? Yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah, it's uh, it's December. There's there's advent calendars everywhere, seemingly. Uh, but I wanted to take a quick little nod too. These aren't necessarily one things, but they're extra things. They're uh, advent things that are that are worth mentioning for anybody that's feeling. Just the season. So uh, one thing to mention here would be uh, Hypnogoria has their old time Yuletide advent calendar that they're doing. Uh, Mr. Jim Moon is knocking out little five to ten minute episodes that are working through the alphabet and taking some deep, deep cuts uh, relating to Christmas holiday traditions. It's pretty cool. That's one thing. The other one is the uh, the Cood Street uh, podcast, which is all things genre, specifically fantasy and science fiction. They're uh, kind of taking a, a return back to the COVID era where they had like a whole string of daily podcasts. They put out something like 100 plus episodes. These very like like shorter, like 15 minute uh, author interview type things. And they've kind of returned to it and they're doing their own little advent calendar interviewing a variety of 
uh, genre authors about cool things that they're reading for the year, things that they've done for the year, and if you're if you're into the the genre, there's a lot of good authors being interviewed there. So I don't know. Seems like more things to listen to, and those are little bite sized snacks that people can latch on to, and it's it's the season to be kind of sharing the love. The mini marshmallows of the one thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's there's lots of good stuff there. So if you're into like old school uh, like Christmassy traditions and Yuletide stuff, there's that. If you're into some some various contemporary uh, science fiction and fantasy authors, there's that too. It's good stuff. Nice. That's it. I just wanted to to, to bring that in. One. That sounds interesting. It's been, dude. It's awesome. I've been stuck on some ancient Egyptian history podcasts. That seems like a good switch <laughs> for the season. It's fun. Uh, Jim Moon's. He's top notch, man. Yeah, this stuff's always gold. But now, let's, if we can, dig into our emotions. Pour a, another cup of coffee. Pour a little whiskey, and get ready to enjoy the sounds of the Big Weird Tales Three as we bring to you three poems by Howard Lovecraft and Smith. So we've we've kind of <laughs> we've kind of uh, already uh, inadvertently assigned different poems to uh, each of us. I didn't know how we would do this, but we have one by Robert E. Howard called Adventurer, one by Clark Ashton Smith called Nyctalops, yep, and one by H.P. Lovecraft called The Fungi from Yuggoth. <laughs> We're not going to discuss the entire cycle because it's like 20-some-odd stanzas. We're just going to do the first four. And my idea for this episode is let's let's read these poems and think about what we know about these authors and see how the poetry reflects the prose writing that we're familiar with. I dig it, dude. So, I don't have the publication information for these in front of me. So, we'll have to add that to the blog. Let's just read them. Okay. We'll just read them. And I don't know who should start. I'm not sure. Thinking. I'll go first. You want to go first? Yeah, man. Okay. So, so first, let's hear a poem by Clark Ashton Smith called Nyctalops. Luke is going to uh, read that one. Give him a few minutes to look it over. That's the one that got coffee spilled on it. So some of the ink might have might have run. If you need that on your phone, you can get it pretty easily on uh, Eldritch Dark, which is a, a great website if you're a Clark Ashton Smith fan. You can find, uh, I don't know if all of his writings are on there, but a lot of them are. And I went through pages and pages and pages of poetry trying to find just the right one for tonight. All right. We got here, Nyctalops by CAS. Ye that see in darkness when the moon is drowned, in the coiling fin mist, Far along the ground, ye that see the darkness, say what have ye found. We have found strange atoms, trysting on the air, the dust of vanished lovers, long parted in despair, and the dust of flowers that withered in worlds of otherwhere. We have seen nightmares winging down the sky, bat-like and silent, to where the sleepers lie. We have seen the bosoms, of the succubi. We have seen the crystal of dead Medusa's tears 
we have watched the undines that wane in stagnant weirs, and mandrakes madly dancing by black blood-swollen mirrors. We have seen the satyrs their ancient loves renew, with moon-white nymphs of Cyprus, pale dryads of the yew, in the tall grass of graveyards, weighted down with evening's dew. We have seen the darkness where the carnal things decay, where Adam moves with Adam in shining swift array, like ordered constellations, some side real way. We have seen fair colors that dwell not in the light, intenser gold and iris, occult and recondite. We have seen the black suns pouring forth the night. What do you think? Very Clark Ashton Smith. What do you mean? Uh, colors, poetic, very like they're coming to get you, but also like, hey, maybe it's cool that they're coming to get you. Maybe that yeah. maybe that's Flowers what you want. Flowers and nymphs and medusas. Yeah. Medusas and succubi. Mm-hmm. Vampires, maybe. Probably. What I'm reading. Carnal things decaying. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of kind of gothic imagery. I'm thinking back to that Rendezvous in Averon story that we read, uh-huh. and that was about like a, a guy going down into what was basically a burial mound, right? And it transformed into uh, an opulent chamber, and there was a beautiful woman there, and she wanted to keep him there with her, and it turned out she was a was she a succubus or a vampire or some similar life draining creature? Some sort, some feels of a vampire, yeah, psychic or otherwise, yeah. And so I, I love the way it ends with the two black suns pouring forth the night. Like think about think about the sun and how it glows radiantly. And what if instead of glowing like it's a black hole and all you get from it is darkness? I like it a lot. You liked it? Yeah, love it. Do you know what the word nictalops means? Mm, well, uh, so. Uh, Nyx would be like night. Is mm-hmm. that fair? And that is it. Would Lops be eye? Mm-hmm. So it's night eye. Night eye. It's about um being having night blindness. Latin. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's about not being able to see at night, and and so we're we're looking at all of these things seen by darkness by thing by this individual or these individuals that can't see. I was gonna guess bat eye or dark eye or something like that. Yeah. So uh. Lazio Nicteris Noctavagans is the the evening bat, and so that's where I knew my 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 Nicta Good job. coming. And I feel like I knew Lops is like eye or something from like somewhere. Cyclops. Reminds you of Cyclops. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know Latin scientific names for species for the win. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you take any Latin ever? No, man. I just took a lot of natural history classes. <laughs> I, I, feel very I took Latin freshman year of high school, right before they canceled it at my high school. Nice. It served me quite well. In man, etymology. I bet one yeah. of my one of my students, uh, she took Latin, and I'm yeah, I'm similarly envious of just knowing a lot more of the basics of the language because it would just help so much more piecing together names of of different species. Mm-hmm. You want to do it one more time? That's what we've done with all of our poems. Yeah. If you guys, is that okay? It's, a, it's okay it with me if you want to. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the second the second time around is is better than the first time around. If it's with, nice, uh, do it with, twice. With Luke reading it. Ye that see in darkness, when the moon is drowned, and the coiling fin mist far along the ground, ye that see the darkness, say what have ye found? 
We have seen strange atoms trysting on the air, the dust of vanished lovers long parted in despair, and dust of flowers that withered, and worlds of other wear. We have seen nightmares winging down the sky, bat-like and silent to where the sleepers lie. We have seen the bosoms of the succubi. We have seen the crystal of dead Medusa's tears. We have watched the undines that wane in stagnant weirs, and mandrakes madly dancing by black blood-swollen mirrors. We have seen the satyrs, their ancient loves renew, with moon-white nymphs of cypress, pale dryads of the yew, in the tall grass of graveyards, weighed down with evening's dew. We have seen the darkness where carnal things decay, where Adam moves with Adam in shining swift array, like ordered constellations on some side real way. We have seen fair colors that dwell not in the light, and tenser golden iris occult and recondite. We have seen the black suns pouring forth the night. Yeah, I'm digging this whole, like, there's some sort of person that's asking the night viewers what they have seen, so they get to answer, and it's very Clark Ashton Smith, very Shakespearean. The naiads, the satyr, all of these sort of classic mythological creatures, the succubi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all to me, that's very Clark Ashton Smith. He's the Shakespeare, the gothic Shakespeare of our trio that we've talked about. And, you know, there's there's a fair amount of Greek mythology references in some of Lovecraft stuff, like the Dreamland stuff especially. But it does seem as though, at least from the Averone stories we've we've read, the the mytho- mythology from ancient Greece really informs a lot of it. And and these these myths, these figures from this mythology are decaying, right? They're they're symbols of right. this. This like bygone era. Classic primal myth yeah. that's an indication of what whatever's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whereas Ashton's or whereas Lovecraft would be sort of like, you can't know these Greek gods, they're untouchable beyond us and everything. Yeah. Clark Ashton Smith always sort of revels in the strange beauty of them mm-hmm. and welcomes their destruction. Like I it feels like he always just seems to find love and not joy, but like I don't know, some sort of passion in the in the destruction of humanity. This is like if Hellboy was really dope at the end of his story with, with the world getting destroyed, right? Like yeah. uh, all of the things coming out back from the darkness. Yeah, he's romantic, right? Like yeah, he's, he's truly wanting to like sort of dwell on the beauty of death and decay and loss. That's part of the beauty is the fact that it's this thing passing. Yeah, that love can die makes it more beautiful. Yeah, right. Yeah. He doesn't want to have relations with the monsters. Are you sure? I mean, maybe. Maybe a vampire. Maybe a succubus. Maybe a succubus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna weigh in on that. Just say eyebrow. Hmm? Hmm? Since you, since you weighed in uh, and invoked Lovecraft, yeah. is it okay if we roll into Fungi from Yagath? Absolutely. <laughs> Let's get fun. Let's get poetic. It's fun. HPL. He's. <laughs> He's a fun guy. We don't serve your kind here. Dude. You know that joke. I won't tell it. This is a series of sonnets, the fungi from Yagath. And I don't know off the top of my head how many there are. There, there are more than 20. So it's, it's a long. We're only going to do the first four. And again, think about themes in Lovecraft stories. The first one is called The Book. The place was dark and dusty and half lost in tangles of old alleys near the keys. 
reeking of strange things brought in from the seas, and with queer curls of fog that west winds tossed, small lozenge panes, obscured by smoke and frost, just shooed the books in piles like twisted trees, rotting from floor to roof, congeries of crumbling elder lore at little cost. I entered, charmed, and from a cobwebbed heap took up the nearest tome and thumbed it through, trembling at curious words that seemed to keep some secret, monstrous if one only knew. Then, looking for some cellar old in craft, I could find nothing but a voice that laughed. Sonnet 2. Pursuit. I held the book beneath my coat at pains to hide the thing from sight in such a place. Hurrying through the ancient harbor lanes with often turning head and nervous pace. Dull, furtive windows in old, tottering brick peered at me oddly as I hastened by. And thinking what they sheltered, I grew sick for a redeeming glimpse of clean, blue sky. No one had seen me take the thing, but still, a blank laugh echoed in my whirling head. And I could guess what knighted words of ill lurked in that volume I had coveted. The way grew strange, the walls alike and matting, and far behind me, unseen feet were padding. Number three, the key. I do not know what windings in the waste of those strange sea lanes brought me home once more, but on my porch I trembled, white with haste, to get inside and bolt the heavy door. I had the book that told the hidden way across the void and through the space-hung screens that hold the undimensioned worlds at bay and keep lost aeons to their own domains. At last the key was mine to those vague visions of sunset spires and twilight woods that brood dim in the gulfs beyond this earth's precisions, lurking as memories of infinitude. The key was mine, but as I sat there mumbling, the attic window shook with a faint fumbling. Number four, recognition. The day had come again when as a child I saw just once that hollow of old oaks, gray with a ground mist that enfolds and chokes the slinking shapes which madness has defiled. It was the same, an herbage rank and wild clings round an altar whose carved sign invokes that nameless one to whom a thousand smokes rose, aeons gone, from unclean towers up-piled. I saw the body spread on that dank stone and knew those things which feasted were not men. I knew this strange gray world was not my own, but yuggeth past the starry voids, and then... The body shrieked at me with a dead cry, and all too late I knew that it was I. Thank you. I love it, dude. Lovecraft. <laughs> Very cool, Daddy. So, what's the through line with, with this sonnet from one to four? I mean, it's a story. I guess that's the thing that strikes me, is that this is very much a Lovecraft story only put into a little bit more of a cadence. Mm -hmm. Like it reads like your recitation of it. I was following it just like it was a, an HPL story that we might be reading. Yeah, For sure. Almost an audio book. 
Yeah. I, I love it because it it fits in so well with the uh, Grimoires epi- uh, episodes yeah. that we did, right? Like, was, yeah, that was absolutely what hit me first was like, okay, we got the Grimoire, mm-hmm. we've got the unknowable things following you, and we've got the, you're pulled into madness. Mm-hmm. And, and he has somehow taken this thing and opened the book and made it to his home, used the book somehow to, to fold dimensions and... and travel home and something has followed him it's it's very cool it's it's spooky um I feel like you got a thing for grimoires we got to watch you in the book story. i do <laughs> really like this idea of finding a book with some secret that unlocks vistas beyond vistas of knowledge or, or that yep. collates everything it's the the one piece of knowledge that you need to make everything make sense mm-hmm. that idea is really powerful to me okay it plays really well in this poem I think so too. Um, and I really love how the, the setting is a character almost in the, the story, you know, Smith in the last poem we heard used these very descriptive words, but it, it conjured emotions. This conjures a place to me. Like definitely puts you in the setting. I agree with, with the Smith poem, there's artistic use of language that's like evoking things, right? The dust of vanished lovers, long parted in despair, the dust of flowers that withered in the worlds of otherwhere. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not grounding you in a cobblestone street after you've bought a book and then you hear the pitter patter of, of spooky feet behind you. That's, <laughs> that is, uh, just evoking a lot of these wisps of of memory and thought that kind of like give you the feels but the the hpl poem that you read or the 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 series of poems they're telling it again it's a story it's a narrative it is something that is laying uh, a through line for it all and i actually thought about reading them out of order to see if it made still if they (laughs) if they were if they were still enjoyable in that way like if could you read just number three here and and it's still a cool little sonnet or does it lack the content? Like do you need to read the whole thing? So uh, you know that's a longer series of of, of verse mm-hmm. versus what we've normally read. So mm-hmm. maybe just read three like as your as your okay. repeat and we'll right. sort of see if it makes any sense. Okay. I do not know what windings in the waste of those strange sea lanes brought me home once more. But on my porch I trembled, white with haste, to get inside and bolt the heavy door. I had the book that told the hidden way across the void and through the space-hung screens that hold the undimensioned worlds at bay and keep lost aeons to their own domains. At last the key was mine to those vague visions of sunset spires and twilight woods that brood dim in the gulfs beyond this earth's precisions, lurking as memories of infinitude. The key was mine. But as I sat there mumbling, the attic window shook with a faint fumbling. That stands totally alone. Like, <laughs> I, I tend to agree. I, you think, it yeah? seems more like two sentence horror-y to me than when it's all in its place. Okay. Like, yeah. Like the guy's got the thing, and oh, now it's not the good thing that he wanted it to be. But when you put it all together, like I was even, I was cheating a little bit and scrolling ahead to some of the other. Do you want to read? I haven't read ahead. I haven't. Uh, do you want to read number five? No, no, no. I just, uh, I wanted to see what happens next. Cause like I said, it's a story. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, it's, it's a better, it's a big hole. Like you need the, I think it, it's better when it's all the pieces. Together. Okay. Is that? Yeah. But th- it's not that, bad, that, so. that third 
uh, sonnet absolutely functions. You don't know the explanation for how this person got the book, but it still ends. It still starts with enough information of Arcane Grimoire in my custody, and then it ends on the cliffhanger of, oh no, what is that? <laughs> the attic window. And yeah. I would be curious to know at the the beginnings and the ending endings of each of the sonnets. Does it does it hold that that cliffhanger style? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure. Because it, it's long, right? Like, this whole, like, cycle of sonnets is, is quite lengthy. Mm-hmm. I feel like you couldn't do that. Like, having that many cliffhangers would probably get tiresome. And I don't know if HBL's got the, the constitution to keep such, such a thing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, th- this looks... Through some of them. It looks like uh, 36... There are 36 sonnets okay. in this, in this uh, cycle. It would be different, yeah. So, like, uh, stanza X, stanza 10, the pigeon flyers, ends with, The others laugh, till struck too mute to speak by what they glimpsed in one bird's evil beak. I mean, that is a cliffhanger, but sort of a funny one. Yeah. It's interesting that it's a pigeon. I wonder if that's a response to, like, pigeons from hell. I wonder wonder if this was post-pigeons from hell publication and and Lovecraft kind of using this as a send-up. Because otherwise, yeah, why why a pigeon? Stanza 12, The Howler. I glimpsed and ran in frenzy from the place and from a four-pod thing with a human face. So, I mean, That's creepy. Yeah, they're creepy ends. Weirdo ends. Okay. I was, I guess I would be curious if we ever dipped more into HPL's poetry. I was sort of expecting maybe a more... Everybody sort of holds him up as the genius of the three, right? Like he's the he's the most clever of them. And I was wondering I, what he would do with poetry, like how he would maybe innovate with it. And if that's how he does it, where it's like, oh, each stanza is its own story, but put together, it's a much greater story. That would be cool. That, that, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Uh, he was he was definitely a heavy, right? right. Like he did. He was not nearly as prolific as either Smith or Howard. Smith had a much longer life. He lived to to be an old old man. But when you compare him to Robert E. Howard, like in terms of pure output, yeah, that's not even close. Both poetry and prose stories. I, I guess I'm also intrigued by the fact that he even wrote poetry. Just what we've talked about of the man, he doesn't seem like a, a poet to me as much as maybe like he would use it to do what he did here, which is make some cool stuff about his cool grimoire mm-hmm. business. Uh, <laughs> I I, am I way off base? Like he doesn't he doesn't strike me as like the poem type. I don't know if I don't know enough about HPL though. I think that from what I've read, his stuff is not nearly as romantic as as Howard's, and and certainly not nearly as romantic as as Smith's. And I use romance in the big sort of uh, use of the words, not not just you know lovey dovey. Yeah, right. Um, adventure. Yeah, and so we've we've got a kind of a romantic poem from from Howard here to to look at but to answer the question I I I do think that he was a guy who was curious about a great many things and knew a whole lot about a whole lot of stuff I think he was a good writer and he was an antiquarian a, and he was infatuated with like you know previous bygone european roots mm-hmm. and tied into that as a a big appreciation of the arts and poetry and he had a dryness about him. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I think that that's, that's probably what we're, we're feeling here or we're tapping into. That's what I feel about Howard. Like 
what I read or, from him. Yeah. By Lovecraft, or, you Lovecraft, mean? Yeah. Right. His first name was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were referring to him on a first name basis. Yes, uh, Your buds. Howie. Uh, yes. I I guess one of the things I was going to throw out about this poem is just like everything else that I've ever read by it, it feels damp when I read it. Yeah. But he, as a man, does feel very dry. Like, it's, it, if it, it, I would have loved to have been at a table with him and R. Howard, Robert E. Howard, and just seen their interaction. Cause, I mean, that's what's cool about their back and forths. Like, they had their letters. Yeah, yeah. They had like such a, such an opposition to one another. But a love. Yeah, an appreciation, right? Because we talked about the last the la- the last recording that that uh, Robert E. Howard expressed strong appreciation for Howard Phillips Lovecraft's mm-hmm. poetry. Like he was one of the tops. Like of all of the people that are my favorite poets, there's this and that, and like a thousand years before present uh, up to you. Like, yeah, he basically said, and then you, of course. And I don't think Howard was like blowing smoke. There, there was a little bit of a an age and stature differential mm-hmm. between the two, but but Howard was quite comfortable arguing with that dude. Absolutely, so <laughs> if he felt like something something stank, he would probably say it. Well, there. So their correspondence began. Do you know how their correspondence began? We've probably talked about it, but maybe we have. Yeah. There's a Lovecraft story called uh, "Is It the Rats in the Walls?" Uh-huh. Where uh, the guy kind of drifts into Gaelic speak at the end. Yep, yep, and, right. And he writes some Gaelic speak, and uh, Howard read it, Robert E. Howard read it, and was like, this actually is not, th- this is not what, oh, that, no, actually, he wouldn't say this, yeah, sure. um, this this <laughs> is not proper usage, it's not spelled right, like, and then he writes a letter to the airy and says, you know, I, I like the story a lot, uh, Lovecraft is great, but I have some questions about this Gaelic, which is pretty cool, like, you know, when you think of Old, old two gun Bob, you think of you know kick in the door, right. you know uh, kill the bad guys, um, but time and again you're surprised, right? Like when you first meet Conan, he's drawing a map and talking about all these different countries that he's visited and, and filling in the map and all these cultures. He, he's a philosopher as well as a barbarian, and I think the same can be said of of Robert E. Howard. Here, here. So let's hear as soon as you uh, wet your lips. Mr. Take a Mr. moment. Mr. Adventurer over there. Adventurer. See what you think about this. This is a tough one. I think, I think the rhythm of this one is tough. Oh. Dust the the materials off of your, your kerchief and your, your hat and mm-hmm. your page there. That, that bit of parchment. <laughs> Get ready. You're you're coming through some uh some swinging doors into an establishment. Uh <laughs> What do you have, stranger? (laughs) Dusk on the sea, the fading twilight shifts. The night wind bears the ocean's whisper dim. Wind on your bosom, many a phantom drifts. A silver star climbs up the blue world rim. Wind, make the green leaves dance above me here, and idly swing my silken hammock. So now, on the glimmering molten silver mirror, Send the long ripples wavering to and fro, and let your moon-white tresses touch my face, and let me know your slim-armed, cool embrace, while to my dreamy soul you whisper low. Dream, I, I've dreamed since last night, left her tower, and now come, er, and now again she comes on star-souled feet. Welcome, old friend, here in this rose-gemmed bower, 
I've drowsed away your sultan's golden heat. Here in my hammock, time I've dreamed away. For I have but to stretch a hand out. Lo, I'm treading languorous shores of yesterday. Moon-silvered deserts or the star-weird snow. I float o'er seas where ships are purple shells. I hear the tinkle of the camel bells that waft down Cairo's streets when dawn winds blow. South seas. I watch the dusky twilight comes, making vague gods of ancient sea-set trees. The world path beckons, loud the mystic drums. Here at my hand, the magic golden keys that fit the doors of romance wonder, strange dim gossamer adventures, seas and stars. Why I have roamed the far moon mountain range when sunset minted gold and shimmering bars. All eager-eyed I've sailed from ports of Spain and watched the flashing topaz of the main when dawn was flinging witchfire on the spars. I am content in dreams to roam my fill, the vagrant, drifting sport of wind and tide, slave of the greater freedom, ventures thrill. Here every magic ship on which I ride, gold, green, blue, red, a priceless treasure trove, more wealth than ever pirate dared to dream. My hammock swings about the world I rove. The sunset's dusk, the dawning's glide and gleams. Moon-dappled leaves are murmuring in the wind, which whispers tales. Lo, tear is just behind. Through seas of dawn I sail, romance a beam. The Adventure by Robert E. Howard. That's a sad poem. That's that's a lovely poem. Why is yeah. it sad? Because it's him stuck in crosspoints. <laughs> I think it's I think it's wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful. This is this is my I think my second favorite Robert Howard poem. Tell me more about that. Uh, I love this notion. Like I don't feel like he's trapped necessarily. Okay. He's he's showing us all of the places that he can go in his mind. And he's like, look, my, my hammock swings and, and I am in Spain and I'm uh, sailing the, the, the Spanish main. L- look, look here. You at, at the uh, adventure that I go on in Cairo, feel the wind, feel the, the adventure. Like it's, it's so good. And I really love, there's two sections of it that I really love. I'll just reread one. I am content in dreams to roam my fill, the vagrant, drifting sport of wind and tide, slave of the greater freedom, ventures thrill, here every magic ship on which I ride. That's so good. Man, that's that is uh it gives me it gives me shivers, like it gives me goosebumps thinking about how excited he was to to go on an adventure. And I don't think he was necessarily stuck in cross planes. Like he went on some adventures himself, right? Like to Carlsbad and um and and he he traveled all around the uh you know central part of Texas. Yeah, right, right, right. So um to me this is this is not sad and I'm I'm interested in hearing more about why you think it is. Uh I guess that this is the one that caught me. Uh, you said your first one. Is this maybe the second one? Let me hear it. Okay. Uh, here at my hand, the magic golden keys that fit the doors of romance, wonder, strange, dim gossamer adventures, seas, and stars. Uh, it's him showing off that his imagination is what has has kept him going, I guess. like there, It's not a desperation to me necessarily, but it's like a, it's clearly a retort. To cross planes, right? Like it is him recognizing that he's dreaming of all this stuff from a hammock, 
I guess was the original reason that I was sort of like, okay. oh, this is this is him wishing for more or wishing to go back in time. He's an adventurer. Like, that's who Robert E. Howard is. And he did it through a typewriter, but I do think he wished he had done it on a camel with a sword. Yeah, I, I think you're right. But I also appreciate the punk rock middle finger yeah. up in the air up high. It's <laughs> sure. the, I can go these, I can go to these places in my mind and I don't know. It's, it's hard. So we're a century later, right? right? 90 years, but whatever. Like we're, we're close enough to a hundred years. We're right. close enough to a century. You can round it on up. It's a different world for us where we know the world and he's, he's dreaming, right? He's dreaming. He knows these things exist, but he only knows them on the page on the, the basis of his own education and his ability to like read, you know, like honestly, he's unpacking all of this, this world that's out there on the basis of largely like the written text. It's, you know, maybe little bits and pieces on the radio, but it's not like the, the cross plains radio in the the late twenties and the early thirties are talking too much about the larger world. I mm. mean, there was a war and stuff, but it's not as if all of this, this magic and mayhem and craziness and just different civilizations are there for him to unpack anywhere, but on the page and he's doing it. And he's very much is like a, a book reader, punk rock, like finger up in the air, like author mm-hmm. uh, statement. I, I, it really is beautiful. I, I do think I, I, I kind of side with, with Josh too, that it's well, and not, not counter to what John's saying. It's, it's got a little bit of that bittersweet. Like I wish it was, I wish I was there, but he's taking these, these trips in his mind and he's fashioning all these worlds. It's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's, I would say, a far sight more than a lot of people in Crossplanes are doing in terms of, like, escaping to their mind palace and, and doing this stuff, right? He's, he's meditating. It seems meditative to him. Like I, I do like that. Yeah, I like that term, especially for the first stanza, where it almost seems like he's inviting his imagination in, where he's saying, like, come to me and bless yeah. me. Uh, what, He's conjuring it. Yeah, his imagination is a woman that like has long silvery hair. Yeah. It's coming to him to show him more. It it is very beautiful. Like I was <laughs> I was very touched by this. It is a far more inviting uh set of verse than HPL. There's no cordial invitation or anything <laughs> remotely optimistic about Lovecraft stuff. Mm-hmm. And Clark's stuff is just sinister and and dead. Right, there's that that kind of like death and decay. Yeah. We're all this, sexy and real sexy and real dead. <laughs> you got real ugly, right? Like there's a little bit of that Evil Dead kind of kind of kind of like mythos or whatever built into that. But it's these stories are, I think, very clear representations of at least like the archetypal representations of the three different yeah, uh, uh, authors, right? Like the 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 Weird Tales three as 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 we refer to them, like they're different and by God, Howard isn't necessarily anthemic. There's that bittersweet quality, but you want to sail on that ship with the golden sun setting. Mm-hmm. I do think it's anthemic. Like I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would sing this. I, I put a guitar to it. <laughs> I think that 
with with Howard, even his Conan stories can uh, have some bittersweetness to them that you don't necessarily that doesn't come to mind unless you're actively reading them. Because what comes to mind is the like the the blood, the thunder, the 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 triumph, the uh, the fight, the action, the sweat, that that kind of thing. But I would I would argue that there's a lot more emotion in the stories than actually gets credited. Yeah, man. Well, I know we'll continue to talk about this, but why is that? Because Con- <laughs> well, like Co- like Conan is he. I would dare say he's. He's the the happiest of all. Well, outside of Sailor Steve and right. and, and the boxing, <laughs> outside outside of the humorous stuff, like in terms of the the pulpy pulps, Conan is he's the happiest of the sad sack bastards, being like Solomon Kane and Cole mm-hmm. and uh, Bram McMorn. I mean, those are like the most uh, sad bastard stories. Conan has a little bit more of that upbeat flair, mm-hmm. but it still ends with a little moment of sadness. Doesn't matter what story, there's going to be some moment of. I guess I'm back on the road. I'm on that. <laughs> I'm on I, that road of kings. I was but in love with the Queen of the Black Coast. We had so many adventures in them. A winged harpy thing, right? Like or she, her she gutted her. Yeah, yeah. But think. I think about the. Oh, I don't know if it's uh, Iron Shadows in the moon or whatever that that story is, but finds himself in command of a boat and he's like, all right, let's, let's go mess with this King and steal his gold and get some plunder. What say you like, you know, we, we, we lost some people, but we're still alive by crime and let's do it. It's, it's a little bit of happiness, but it's a little bit of like a dalliance. Like this is, this is what I got going. And that's, that's part and parcel to the, the Conan ethos, right? Like Mm -hmm. the, the, the like if you're going to be a cromulent worshiper, you're going to have a fair bit of caution to the wind and WTF. I'm just going to live my life. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole point. Anyway, table that, uh, this is awesome. And Howard is beautiful. And this poem is, is very poignant. I guess that's the, the take home message. Uh, and Lovecraft is a story. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful and scary and cool kind of story with a lot of, a lot of little hat tricks thrown in there. And Clark Ashton Smith, he just wants sexy vampires and and uh, fair dryads are gonna slurp your. He doesn't just want the sexy part. Like, <laughs> that was a perfect time to break in. Destruction part. Yeah. Right. Like he wants to watch the world burn. Yeah, he wants to watch the world burn <laughs> the most lovely way possible. Yep. And in this poem, Robert E. Howard is content in his hammock. Yeah. Like I can, I can actually see a video of this, like in my mind, like the hammock swinging, some dude sitting in it, thinking of these adventures. Uh, it, narrated by LeVar Burton. That'd yeah. That'd uh, you could you could absolutely do a little 5 minute or 3 minute like short film of this of this uh poem with somebody playing Robert E. Howard, you know, like kind of juxtapose it, juxtaposing like Martin a typewriter. Swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think it could be even longer than that because you could. This could be the wraparound, right? Like, oh yeah, you know, and the the, and zone exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could be an hour long kind of thing with like three different, like a a, a pirate story, uh, a a story in Cairo, and then uh, I'm certain there's another seed in there that I'm forgetting, but yeah. 
the South Seas. The South Seas, yeah. That oh. sounds like uh, Delirious from 1990. <laughs> <laughs> With the typewriter, that that's a John Candy classic. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, like the here in my hammock, time I've dreamed away, for I have but to stretch out a hand. Lo, I'm treading languorous shores of yesterday. Moon silver deserts or the star weird snow. Like here I am. I'm, I'm trips in the world, man. Like yeah, it, it is bittersweet. I love it. I it's beautiful. I've I've read so my favorite poem by by Howard is called uh, One Blood Strain that I've read on the show and I read it on Howard's porch. But this one just it really makes me I don't know it's it gets me into the appropriate headspace for Robert E. Howard. I think yeah for sure it is tricky. It's, the, rhythm yeah, is the rhythm is weird. Yeah, I think that's the hardest one of the three that I picked. <laughs> Absolutely, I think this is I, the this is the hardest poem here into. Like that we've the done whole season absolutely like yeah. like like everything that we've read on this recording there's been a rhyme or a cadence i mean you were reading like the sonnet is a little bit more complicated and i had the easy cheesy like rhyme 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 six lines this is the the one that is the most sophisticated i i think having some intimate reading of the the lines would really like facilitate yeah, no, being I, able to like get the timing down you need mm-hmm. actors training for this like the, i think so the, the semicolons like there's there's a pause here and there where it's it's clear that like you're flashing from his imagination to so reality. like south seas yeah. like that exactly. yeah and i think there are places where the verse like the rhyme happens in the middle of a statement and you're supposed to maybe maybe pause there like there's there's a pregnant sort of uh-huh. pause implicit but if you don't have time to practice it then you know i was reading it last night trying to trying to get the timing down and i couldn't with that one um these other two i i could but mm-hmm. that one i think is really tough and that's not the only howard poem that that is tough like i i really think that if you if you read samaria the right way that's a tough one and I don't think I read it the right way. Like I, I, I'm not claiming that I did. I just think that's a that's a hard poem. Yeah. You want to hear a funny one that he did? A real short one? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Is it about a man from Nantucket? Uh, almost. Uh, <laughs> it's called an American Epic from uh, 1929. <laughs> All right, hit me. You ready? Yeah. The autumn sun was getting low. The day was mighty windy when Hiram shot the hired man that kissed his girl Dorindy. Them two was in the app. Uh, the orchard there for apple birds was pecking when old man Hiram hove in view and busted up their necking. The hired man, he took it out across the fields and ditches, but Hiram drawed a perfect bead and shot him in the britches. The hired man, he flagged it on for he knew other ladies, but Robert Frost can write the rest or he can go to Hades. Oh, dude. <laughs> I, I love it. I think that's hilarious. He I read it. Multitudes, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's and exactly so, right. so you know, the, there's heavy emotion in that adventurer story, but then there's there's this that lets you know this dude had a a, a, a righteous sense of humor, and uh, I was cracking up reading it. And Ashley's like, "What is so funny?" And I read it to her, and she just kind of looked at me and was like, "I guess that's funny." Robert Frost can go to Hades. That's yeah, awesome, man. <laughs> he can write the rest, or he can go to Hades. Yeah, is- I like uh, busted up their necking. Is <laughs> That's pretty good. But the one you had me read, this is like a Johnny Cash song. That's like a Alan Jackson song. Alan Jackson? I was I thinking... Know, I, uh, I don't know modern country very much. Uh, I was thinking more like... Um, what's his name? They call they call him the streak. 
<laughs> Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens. Yeah. yeah, that's more like a Ray Stevens song. Oh yeah, yeah okay. Like a like a humorous Americana yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, honestly, your uh, your story there, John, is more of the uh, like the the Paul the Paul Simon the Bob Dylan. That's true. It's the longer that's verse true. of the Christofferson. Yeah. Like it's it's the the more complicated verse, but. I wouldn't say that uh, that shorter little bit that Josh offered no, is, is, is is Johnny Cash, <laughs> not at all. Like that's that's uh that's funny. Yeah. Anyway, like if if you go to Wikisource, there's a bunch of Robert E. Howard poems you can read for free. However, you can get uh, Kaufman's poetry collection on Lulu. Um, there's always coupons. You can save ten or twenty percent. So that's you know uh, uh, five bucks maybe off the cost of it. Uh, it's well worth it. It's a selection of poetry. Um, but uh, the foundation, the Robert E. Howard Foundation, has recently released the complete poetry of Robert E. Howard. You can get that on Amazon, I think I saw before I came over, for about 45 bucks. Okay. And and that is uh, definitive, I think. I've, I've yet to see a review of it. I, I don't know. I, I assume that it's just a reprint of a previous, of a previous volume with a, a different cover. But I'm not sure. Yeah. We'll have to dig into that. Yeah. We have one more poem episode coming up. That's right. We'll wrap out our 2022 with a final bit of poetry. What are we going to do for that? Uh, I think that maybe what I'll do is I'm going to take it back to the people that inspired these three. Oh. Uh, I had been leaning towards, I've joked now like four, five times about the rhyme of the ancient mariner, but I don't think I'll do that. That's too long. I think it would, it would require some preparation. I want to find some poems about this link from... The Poe's, the Omar Khayyam's, and the others that Howard mentioned in his bit that we talked about in our last episode. Uh, and I'll pick one out for each of us. We can just make references to Iron Maiden's, like, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Sure. Yeah. Call it good. Yeah. The Bruce Jones run of The Hulk from the early 2000s. It was all threaded around the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. That's how I got introduced to it. Is oh, man. <laughs> Look at that. Cool. Yeah. And we'll see. So, with time of this recording... We've got one more episode for the season. It may wrap around to the new year, but it's basically that that even tide, that ending to the to the season, that turning to the new. How the bell tolls for our poetry season. Mm-hmm. It'll be wrapping around the solstice. Mm-hmm. Solstice. I, solstice. I, I think solstice. Soul. The S O U L. Solstice. Soul. I got soul. <laughs> I'm a soldier. I got soul. <laughs> You're a soldier. <laughs> <laughs> in a slightly different way. Uh, yeah. I mean, I am. You are. Part of... In Crom's army. In the yep. army of the Lord. Here, <laughs> <laughs> here. So, should we... In- Thanks. You got, you guys enjoyed them? Dude, I got my rocks off. I, I loved it. Every I, every little bit. This was my, this was my favorite so far. Really? Yeah, really? dude. This poetry season, I have to say... Uh, leaps and bounds every episode i feel like we're firing on cylinders uh all the cylinders we went from like uh two cylinders to four cylinders to six cylinders now we're gonna be at like a v8 yeah no seriously it's fun it's a lot of fun and and i think there's something that is inspirational about reading it reading poetry out loud i think gives you sort of a i don't know it gives you permission to just let it let it flow. Like I, I really believe that. I, I know it sounds maybe douchey or maybe maybe goofy, but oh, like no. I, I think reading poetry out loud gives you license to be creative with the words that are written. I think 
Yeah, I think fair. You know, we spend a lot of time objectively, like on the mics with what we're putting out there. Uh, but this is, I don't want to say we're, we're not, none of us are like vulnerable with what we're saying here, but, but the actual act of like reading things out loud, I mean, occasionally we'll have a little snippet or two, but the, the act of like reciting something for me, it's, it's a bit intimidating. I don't disagree. Uh, it is a little nerve wracking to try and figure out the meter that you're trying to do. But it's also very primal. Like we've talked about this as we've gone through. Like there's a reason that poetry has persisted. There's a reason that so many people, even though it's looked at as this like flowery thing or almost dead thing, it feels like nowadays. Like I don't feel like people talk about poems yeah. often anymore. Good point. It's it is a vulnerable thing, and it it, it it releases your inner actor to try and read a poem. And so it it is it's a intimidating thing, but it's also weirdly freeing. So. Uh, it's been, I think, fun to have one, have one each episode that we each get to read. I think so, too. I, I relish it. Yeah. Um, Luke can attest to this. When I was uh, in my mid-20s and we were in uh, graduate classes together for our master's, I was a wreck whenever I had to do a presentation in class. And going through grad school with our advisor who really pushed practicing get it down, do it, think about what you're saying, think about the next few words that are going to come out, take a pause. Like all of these things are very valuable and it transformed me from someone who was really afraid to read something in front of a group to someone who really like, I want to, I I want to do it. It is a challenge, but it's good. Yeah. And (laughs) I don't want to like simplify this and, or anything, but I made the remark about the the dirty poem, the Nantucket poem earlier. <laughs> yeah. But but seriously, so like think about that. Like with that poem, uh, the man from Nantucket, if you're actually gonna like say that to your peers, to your buddies, to your to your friends to the at, at the, the pub, <laughs> to the people at the pub, you gotta deliver that. Like how are you uh, if you're listening to this and you're like, that's just a, a, that's a that's a stupid poem. Well, Say it out loud. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Recite that and then play out how you're going to recite it at the pub. There's a little bit of delivery. It's, it's, I'm not making the remarks of like comparing this to like actual stand up, but it's the same sort of cadence. You got to have the right delivery. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Delivery is everything. I I think, I think there's something akin, less, (laughs) maybe similar, uh, akin to stand up, but also improv. Like yeah. because you guys you guys didn't see these poems before tonight, right? <laughs> oh, like no. I just I just shoved <laughs> I just shoved, shoved some complicated verse in front of you and was like, okay, get ready to read it. I saw a shorter and CAS and I'm like, that one's mine. I'm gonna leave like Josh with I'm gonna leave John with like adventurer and Josh with Yugoth. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I the spirit placed these where they needed to be. I, I think so. Too, I don't yeah. disagree. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, this gives me the idea that I think our listeners should call 859-429-CROM and recite some verse for us. We'll play it on the air unless you are just like, please don't do that. Um, and uh, just think about how you would perform whatever poem that you're going to read. Uh, think about how 
it should it should go. Think about the rhythm, the cadence, all that stuff. It's it's tricky, but it's fun. It's it, a lot. It's a lot of fun. That's what I, I guess. Like I hope that people take away from us talking about poetry is like this is fun to do it out loud. It is scary to. I don't know how many people are going to hear me mess up adventure or whatever, but you know, I, it's fun. It's fun to try it out. It's fun to think about like the transitional meter that we're using here. I talk about it with my students, like, you know, figure out how you're going to get to the next thing you're trying to tell people. Yeah. Figure out how you're going to get to the next paragraph in your write up. And if you can do it with poetry, it's a lot of fun. So I hope people will give it a shot and definitely call us. And yeah. Use us as an avenue to give it a try. Yeah. Try it. Yeah. Put it in the show. And if if you're if you're like you know I could read that better then <laughs> then, then yeah do, let's hear it then do it. Prove us wanna, wrong, yeah. dog. Bring I, it. I, I this this became it. kind of confrontational, but, but but I would love to hear other oh, interpretations no, no, no. of some of this. Yeah, yeah, it would not be confrontational at all. It would be absolutely like if you feel like you have this in your heart and it, it's speaking to you. I want to hear it come out. Like. That's awesome. Yeah, this would be this would be like once removed from reading poetry on Robert E. Howard's porch. Well, and on that front, we've released various audio and YouTube recordings of the the poetry sessions. That's right. Yeah. So so people can check those out too. That's that's worth mentioning. Yeah, let's Uh, put that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do your damnedest, man. Like, give it. Make Bob proud. Yeah, dig brother. Um. It's really out of sight here. Didn't even rain. No buttons to push. And right now, I want to dedicate this song to everybody here with hearts, any kind of hearts and ears. Go something like this here. Yes, as I said before, it's really groovy. I'd like to bore you for about six or seven minutes to do a little thing. Yeah. Excuse me for a minute. Just let me play my guitar, all right? Right now, with the little thing uh, by Bob Dylan. That's his grandma over there. That's a little thing called like a Rolling Stone. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine Through the bumps of diamond in your prime Oh, didn't you? People call, say, but where, dog? You're bound to fall, you thought they all Well, couldn't you? You used to laugh about it Everybody that was uh, hanging out, look at you, but now you don't talk so loud. Now you don't, baby, seem so proud. By having to be scrounging, yeah, you're nasty. 
lonely, but you know you only used to get just an end. Nobody here taught you how to live on the streets, but now you just gonna have to get used to it. You say you never, you never compromise with a mystery tramp, but now you got to realize he's not selling any alibi as he stands in the vacuum of his life. And he says, hey baby, would you like to make a Precious gifts and things, but but you better take your diamond ring. I think you better you better pawn a babe. Yes, I know, Mr. Burns. Don't worry. You used to be so amused at the pulling and rest and the sweet talk that he used. Go to him now. He calls you. You can't refuse. Nothing, you got a, nothing to lose. You're invisible now, you got no secrets to conceal. How does it feel? Yeah. Oh, how does it feel, baby?